NSH Poster Committee Chair. On behalf of the NSH, I am excited to share with you the 2019 NSH Poster Podcast Series. This program features live interviews with NSH poster presenters that shared their science and research during the 45th Annual NSH Symposium Convention. We hope each episode will give you the chance to learn more about the exciting work being done across the field of histotechnology, even if you are not able to be with us in New Orleans. Thanks to the new digital format of the posters, sponsored in part by the Journal of Histotechnology, NSH members also have access to a PDF copy of each poster via the block. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Good morning. This is Polly Cham. This is Pamela Vascara. 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 Okay. Um, and we're talking about developing an um, IAC, immunohistochemistry assay, targeting PTK7, a novel target, with a novel assay. I have a little bit of background in assay development, so I understand how difficult and consistency assay development could be. Am I correct? Yes, it's definitely um, a learning curve every single time <laughs> when you're dealing with a novel target, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, looking at your your poster abstract, what is what is one thing? you could say to um, the listeners that will be beneficial to them, to help them with their assay development, especially with this target, you know, each targets are different. So what can you say about PTK7, which is protein tyrosine kinase 7? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, right. so um, th- we were trying to find this specific antibody um, because it's a, a target that determines um, whether the patient is going to get the drug that we had or mm-hmm. not. Okay. So if it expressed high, the patient was going was going to most likely um, be able to use the drug, and if it expressed negatively, it wouldn't. They w- it, the drug wouldn't work for them. So it was a great determining target to see if the person does, you know, would need the drug. Kind of, sort of like you have to have this Hercept test done okay. to be able to get Hercept. Same thing with this. If you got a high expression of PTK7, mm-hmm. most likely you would be a great candidate for the drug. Okay. The problem trying to find this target and make an IHC assay is that out of you know hundreds and thousands of antibodies out there, mm-hmm. there was only one. Wow. It wasn't commercialized. It was a customized antibody that came from a company that that, that made it for one reason or another, and we found it from them. So there was one out of all of them. So I had to kind of make it work. The advantages of the PTK7 antibody that I got were that it was very robust, almost too robust. Wow. So sometimes you thought you saw a lot of um, background staining, but it really wasn't. It was actually um, staining uh, the fibroblasts were actually expressing PTK7. Wow. How we determined that was by using ISH, mRNA-ISH. Okay. We used the ACD technology or the RNA scope. Mm-hmm to determine if what we were seeing in the fibroblast, the staining we were seeing in the fibroblast, 
were really, it was really positive to staining because anybody that works in IHC or in histology would, would see that as actual background staining right, and right. would try to get rid of it. Right, right. No matter what I did, you couldn't get rid of it. I mean, I could, you know, you can make something soup, you can make anything positive. You can make a negative control positive, right? right? Especially if the antibody is very robust. You can, you can also make a positive control negative, right? Right. right? right. By just diluting it to like nothing, right? right? Um, so. Uh, yeah, so you know, as, as much as I diluted it down, you started to see the loss of signal. So then we just kind of had to stop. And that's when we looked at mRNA-ish to see if this was really, truly true staining, and it really was. So okay. we were like, okay, this is okay. Um, so once I got this assay developed, we went into human tissues. And what we would see in maybe breast or ovarian or lung is that um, sometimes it would stain the tumor and it would stain the stroma. Sometimes it would just stain the tumor. Sometimes it would just stain the stroma. And then, of course, it sometimes it just didn't stain anything. So how do you quantitate tumor and stroma, just tumor, just stroma? So that was a big, big talk that had to happen with our, histo our pathologist. I mean, I just did the staining. I'm like, I'm sorry, this is what you got. <laughs> right. And he's like, how am I supposed to interpret this? Right. <laughs> right? So it was really... It was a very interesting target to deal with. Um, okay. It took us a good two years or so to get it all done. Um, there was a lot of validation involved. We do use cell, we start with cell lines, a high expressor and a, and a negative, mm -hmm. and then everything in between. So we have a nice dynamic range of expression, high, moderate, low negatives. Okay. And then, you know, we really do focus more on the moderates and the lows, because that's where most people are going to be. The high is like an extreme overexpressing high, and the negative is a negative. So right. we always focus there in the middle, and that's usually where most people will be. You'll always have maybe one person, one sample, one patient that's like overexpressing, right, you know, right. but then they throw the, the curves <laughs> askew all, the, right, all over right, the right. place. So that's always hard. <laughs> right. But but now but now we're see so that that's so that's where we start with cell lines and we move into making xenografts out of those cell lines just to make sure that it still you know it still looks good in vivo. I mean obviously when it's a control environment in vitro you want to see how it works in vivo as well. Sometimes there's a disconnect there, but no that worked really well. Um, then after that we go into pre-analytical variables such as um, ischemia times and uh, fixation times. Right, right, that's important. And yeah. that's very important and uh, the antibody worked well there too. I mean it was very robust. I think by the time I was done um, with the assay I was doing a 1 in 8,000 dilution at this point. Yeah, and I had to do it on the, the, the best platform was the DACA out of St. Erling 48 at that point as okay. well. Okay. Um, you could, you, you could, you just saw a lot more um, background in the, in other systems, in other automated systems, but okay. we tried to put it into a, into a DACA and it worked much better than most. So, um, after that we go into um, analytical validated sample sets. So we basically asked the vendor, okay, we want breast, ovarian, and lung, and we want them to have minimal ischemia time, like 30 minutes or less, okay. and we want them to have optimal fixation time, okay. at least 24-hour fixation for all the tissues. And they can actually control that when we buy them, granted the tissue is very expensive <laughs> um, to acquire, right, right. especially because we're just a pharmaceutical company. We don't. We're not in the in the business of you know cutting a patient, so. right. <laughs> but there's a lot of you know regulatory, a lot of red tape you have to go through, HIPAA right. rules, and all that wonderfulness that there's mm -hmm. a, and there's vendors that do that kind of stuff. Um, but if we ask them for the specifics, they can actually provide, and they'll provide you frozen tissue, and they'll provide you FFPE. FFPE right. 
and, and it's all the same patient, same sample, and we can use the frozen tissue to um, powder it for Western blots, for RNA, any kind of RNA genomics type work, um, just to back up our IHC. Right. And then I can use the FFPE from the same sample, same patient, for IHC and mRNA-ish. So, um, and that's what we do. So once we get these analytical validated sets with minimal ischemia and um, optimal fixation, we test out our assay to see what it looks like in human tissues. And then it looked good. Wow. It looked pretty good, but then again, you were seeing that weird stroma staining right. okay. and tumor staining and stroma stumor, tumor and just only stroma and only tumor and you, how do you quantitate that? Right, right. Somehow, you know, you have to start, develop, you develop your algorithm, they develop a way to, to, to do it. Again, that's kind of like the Hercep test. It tells you, you know, this and this threshold, right? So if you're like three plus or two plus, you get the, the drug. Scoring. If you're a right, right. one plus or zero, no, you don't get it. Stuff like that. Like okay. similar regulations that you would have to do with Hercep testing. Hercept for hip to to be able to get Herceptin. Same thing with us, you know. Okay. You, you have to find like a, a threshold of where the person gets it and where the people don't. Okay. After we we tried all the human um, um, tissues, specific indications, then we go out into the wild. So these are the, the tissues that we don't know the ischemia time, we don't know the fix the fixation times, to see how the assay will fare. And it did pretty well. Okay. The, our biggest, biggest part problem was just it was staining the stroma and its tumor, and we were trying to see what you know how do you how do you quantitate that? How do you validate that? How do you how do you tell the pathologist if you see this and you see this, it's okay? You know, so right, you got to right. train the pathologist to, to read the samples, um, and that's what my boss does. Um, so it was it was a very interesting assay. There was a lot of up and downs. You know. It was, times when I thought there was background and realized it wasn't. This is when I learned how to use mRNA-ish and RNA scope um, on the bond at that point. Um, you know, and then the um, retrieval was offline at that point. I don't even think they had it online so yet. So you had to do the retrieval offline, but then you could automate it onto the bond at that point. Um, now everything's automated, automated right? Okay. So. So, you know, I got to learn a lot from, from this project. This was the, my very first uh, project with the team, too, and that was over, that was, it started eight years ago, so, and this one lasted about two years. Okay. Yeah, okay. two years to finally get it all nice and, and neat and perfect, basically. And then after that, we take all our data, Western blot, backup data, PCR backup data, nanostring, you know, any kind of genomics backup data from all those samples that we that we stained. We also characterized for Western blot and PCR and everything just to back up our IHC and say, yes, this is true staining. Yes, this is great staining. Um, yes, this assay works as it should. We take all that stuff and wrap it up in a nice little bow and we give it to the CRO so that the CRO can do the clinical trials for patient stratification. Right. So, and this is in the phase one uh, part of um, clinical trials, which is uh, dose expansion and dose escalation. Okay. So pretty much, you know, that's where you start testing it to see <laughs> which population is going to be able to get this um, and, and, with, and which specific indications. Usually in phase 1A, you pretty much get all comers um, because you're just testing the, the dosage of okay. the drug. 
but then we get a little bit of their samples, you know, from their um, archive samples, um, from their tissues, breast, ovarian, lung, whichever, and we get to test our assay to okay. see how it, how it fits. Okay. You know. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Okay. So then when they get the drug and then we have the result in IHC we say well this person should you know okay right. they got positive PTK7 so they should react really well to the drug and then we'll see if they do okay and if they do we're like yeah you know it works um, both the, the IHC said that it would work for them and the drug is working for them but then every once in a while or well I would say more often than not actually you'll have patients that don't I mean it'll express PTK7 but for some reason they didn't they okay. didn't it, the drug didn't work for them or it might stabilize them. I mean, the cancer may not keep growing, but it doesn't eradicate it or it doesn't reduce it. You know, okay. so, so there's, so it didn't, so then there's biology right there. It's like, okay, well, it said that it expressed P2K7. So why does this? Why is this person not expressing? Or why not reacting to the drug? Right, right, right. And that's a whole other monster that right. they try to go figure <laughs> out, right? But for the most part, the assay did really well. Okay, um, that's good. Uh, in determining which which patients got the drug and which didn't. Okay. What what percentage would you say, like in terms of like, is it a higher percentage of patients um, responding to it, or is it a low percentage, or is just like 50-50? It, it, yeah, it's just kind of all over the place, right? Okay. I mean, because in the end, um, you're not. We we focused on three indications: um, breast, ovarian, and lung. But in phase one, you get all comers, so okay. you get all weird kinds of you know cancers. Unfortunately, too, when people come into clinical trials at this stage, specifically phase one, right. um, it's most likely because that person's already tried pretty much everything out there for them. I see. So it's very hard to recruit for that. So you get a very small no number of cases, maybe 20, maybe 30 patients, you know, in that first part of clinical trials where you're just testing out the drug dosage. Um, and, you know, sometimes if they get too much of the drug, it might react. They, the patient might react badly to it, but so it's just a very. We know we did our due diligence when right. we made the assay, and it's nice to see the results um, when it does work, and mm -hmm. then when it doesn't work, but they express the target. You're like, oh no, what's going on? You know. Right. So, like I said, that's a whole other monster where they try to figure it out. You know, maybe it's like too high of a dosage or too low of a dosage and that's why they're not reacting to the drug right. so you know they might need to up their dosages and, and so phase one it's just like you're just dipping your toe into right. everything right. to see how it goes but once I think once they figure that out then it leaves my purview actually it leaves my purview when it goes to the CRO once the right. CRO, once it once it leaves phase one of, of uh, clinical trials I'll go into phase two it's gone. I don't see it anymore. Right. I don't really, I mean, I hear like updates of how it's doing further down in phase two and phase three. Phase two is where you really start um, testing the patient with the assay and then determining whether they get the, the drug or not. Okay. So it's not like you don't get that placebo and then and then non-placebo, you know what I mean? Like, you, you get the drug, you either get the drug or you don't. don't. Okay. It's not like, oh, I don't know if you got the drug, you might be on the placebo drug, you know. That right. doesn't happen anymore. So okay. it's great because everybody saves money and time. Right, right, And if right. you don't express it, most likely it won't work for you, so let's not waste your time. Right, right. That's basically how this whole precision medicine 
everything has big, has come about. Right, right now, yeah. yeah now. Especially now. Yeah. So, um, if you had to do another poster, like to follow up this poster, what would it be? Like something like a sequel, I would say? Uh, so a sequel. Um, well, I don't know if there would ever be a sequel. Right. Because it wouldn't be my work anymore, you know? Right, so, right. I mean, I guess, I guess that's where everybody would need to go, you know, research a little bit more. And eventually the clinical teams will probably have some data out there, a paper. Yeah. Regarding what happened, you know? Right. Whether it failed or it succeeded or, or, you know, one or the other, who knows. But, yeah, it would never come back. There would never be a sequel for me on this okay. one. My next poster would probably be another Target. <laughs> this is my livelihood. I mean, this is how I work, and this is what we do every single day. And I have okay. maybe five or six targets that I juggle every day. Okay. Uh, that right. are in my pipeline right okay. now. <laughs> so sound like my life also. So <laughs> I'm really proud of, you know, especially you know finding a target that's so rare. Like you found one out of the blue, right? Yeah. Usually when that happens, it doesn't work. Yeah. And for this to be so robust. It's kind of like, wow, you know, most time, you know, you're looking online at different antibodies. You're like, is this really going to work? Did they develop this in their garage? You know, because <laughs> it's not like one of your top pick, you know, usually you're like, OK, yeah, I'm familiar with this vendor or something like that. So so that's really good. Yeah, so. yeah. We, we got pretty lucky. But like I said, sometimes it was just too robust. That, right. Know, it stopped us in our tracks and we had to like <laughs> go back and try to figure out what's going on. Right. Here. So, so no, we were we were definitely lucky with it. Sometimes we think it overexpressed too much. So okay, so, you know, and then there's that, right? There's just a lot of trial and error for sure. Okay, for sure with it. But it was one, 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 one <laughs> out of thousands of antibodies out there. You know, right? So I know when we're look looking at like sometime you look at the. Um, the articles about the antibody. Did you read anything about this antibody before yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so I did. I did read. Um, but you know, by the time it comes into my purview, a lot of that basic, basic research has already been done, and there's some sort of a research assay that they okay. developed. But it's most likely manual, or it has all different kinds of reagents. Like they will have their <laughs> right. DAB from DACO, and then they will have their antigen retrieval from Vitrogen, and then they will have their counter stain from um let me throw right. out like ventana Hannah. and then i'm sitting here <laughs> exactly. going i need to just make this work on one platform if right. i can make it work on all three platforms say the daco the Leica, right. or the ventana if i can make it work on all those three platforms great right but i need to at least make it work with one, one. platform with the same reagents and sometimes that becomes a problem it does it does i, I can see that yeah and sometimes i've work with novel assay where I started off with with the Vantana and then I end up with the bond so it's like you always have to try different ones what work and doesn't work yeah so it is I mean it is a struggle it's like you get up in the morning you're like hmm, maybe I should try this one and if you try it it work you're like okay yes work and sometimes you start with the Vantana and you go to that or with the bond like a bond and you go back to the Vantana so it's like yeah. You know, so this 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 talk was good. Yeah, I, I, I like this. Um, I don't know if I would go and try this. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, well, I'm excited um, about the work that you're doing, and um, I'm, I hope that you're enjoying the NSH 
So I think if you have anything to say, a close, closing statement for your listeners. That I'm in there with the trenches with everybody. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I mean, we do in research, I know there's a lot of things like multiplexing, different colors, right. chromogenic, dual, chromogenic-ish, you know, <laughs> all this crazy stuff out there. But when it all comes down to it, um, once you try to translate something mm-hmm. so that it's so that it can go into the clinic, so that it can go to everybody that works in histology labs at hospitals and stuff that work with the IVDs, you really have to keep it as simple as possible. Right, I agree so, with that. You know, so, mm-hmm. and then we really, really have to be very well. Um, they have to have very well characterized positives and negatives and stuff yes, like that. Yes. So, so we have to keep it simple, and that's that's what my group does. It's like, yeah, it's all these pretty colors are great, but no pathologist is going to sit under a microscope and stare right. at five colors and go, what am I looking? Dang I mean, it. this is pretty, but I don't know what to tell you with this. Right. You know? Exactly. One color, DAB. You know, it, it's localized in the cell membrane, and that's that. And, and, you know, they can look and say, yep, they've got it. Yep, it's high expressing. Moving on, right? Yes. So this is the diagnosis. You can have this drug. Right. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Yes. Yeah, and that's how it is in the clinic right now. I don't think we'll ever get to that. It'll take a long time before pathologists will actually sit there, or maybe with digital image analysis, will sit there and say, oh, well, this target and this target, you know, are together, so therefore, you know, that's just, right, it right, just right. gets way too complicated. So, so my lab tries to make everything as simple as possible. Um, and we have pathologists running the lab, so, so that's good. they know exactly what, what they need to accomplish for the clinics. Okay. That's all I had to say. I'm in there with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We're all right in that boat, right? Yeah. All right, so thank you so much, Miss Pamela Viscara. Yeah. Viscara? Yeah. Yes. Okay, well, this is Polly Cham. Um, I think this is time for us to exit. Um, I don't think I have anything else to say. This was a good talk. Um, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. In conclusion, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the 2019 NSH Poster Podcast Series. Hope to see you in Reno. Cha-ching!